Hello and welcome to volume three of Wrestling 20 Years Ago for, for November of 1998. And I am joined by Eric. How's the devil are we, sir? Chris, I'm, I'm here. I'm ready to go. Let's talk about this train wreck of a show. And joining us in the wonderful world of Extreme, Mr. Colling. How the devil are we, Bob? I'm doing great. I can't wait to talk about the best show of 1998. Is that Dan Willing on the other end of the line there? I can't tell. <laughs> so just because just because he and I always disagree, you know. Well, I'm so, being I'm being sarcastic. So spoiler alert. <laughs> Wonderful. Right before we do go into the news, as always, uh, Volume One will be Survivor Series in WWF. Volume Two will be whatever pay per view is in WCW. I don't know. And if you do enjoy the show and you want early access to these shows, little hint behind the foot wall here, this is getting recorded in the first week of November and will be online within a, in a few days. So getting on nice and early, you can get access to this for one of your single dollars. And if you want to contribute $5, you can get the bonus Patreon specials. That's all by just going to patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20 years and as mentioned last month i have got the show on to spotify so you can have easy access to everything all the way back from when mr bamba put out the prologue back in 19 for 1993 back in 2013 that's how long this has been going five whole years and Every single one of them is nice and easy to get hold of on Spotify now. So, Eric, it is that time of the day. Let's have some news. Yes, and we'll start with November to forget. So, the pay-per-view was a mess with many issues. First one being Heyman's booking of a mystery partner for the tag team match before actually having a solid mystery man locked up. He had hoped that he would get hold of Vader, but the negotiations didn't have much chance since Vader was determined to take some time off since leaving the WWF. And every match, including the main event, had changed in the three weeks leading up to the event, with people moving in and out of things. So we got Jake the Snake Roberts. Also, in a strange mix-up, many of the cable companies across the country that were meant to be carrying November to Remember denied that they were actually offering it when customers tried to order the event. Operators for several systems had been convinced that they weren't showing such a thing as an ECW pay-per-view. One of the Time Warner systems was so unorganized it played a scrambled version of the show on the pay-per-view channel, even when in other 
people being swapped around. Yokozuna was meant to be playing the role that Mabel did in the show against Spike, but the Athletic Commission of Louisiana honoured New York's ruling that Yokozuna wasn't physically fit enough to wrestle. Post-show, Bam Bam Bigelow yelled at Heyman, complaining at the way that he treats the wrestlers and his departure wasn't as cordial as some would have believed it was going to be. And in another heated debate, Taz and RVD had got into some uh, conflab backstage with the fact that Taz believed RVD was trying to steal his spotlight by doing the high spot where he jumped onto Douglas as much as they did when it should have been more about Taz and Shane. And coming out of the pay-per-view, Jake the Snake Roberts missed his flights and uh, seems to be a massive mess, only literally getting to the show on time and then also being a mess backstage getting out of the show. And morale in the whole company is supposed to be crushed with the realisation that the pay-per-view was an absolute abortion. Well, uh, no victory for November to remember and no Jack victory either. So Jack victory is injured with a leg issue, um, which should keep him out of the ring for up to a year and is believed to require multiple surgeries. So, Chris, what are the uh, early plans for this guilty as charged pay-per-view, the next big ECW show? So, going into it from the end of this month, the lineup is to believed to be Shane versus Sabu for the world title, Taz and RVD, the Dudley Boys against the Public Enemy, if they are to be believed to be becoming available and leaving WCW soon, Tommy Dreamer versus Justin, or Terry Funk, if they can come to terms together, and a triple threat of Mikey versus Lynn versus Storm. And uh, things not so sunny at Casa Candido. So Chris Candido and Tammy Cinch missed the Japanese tour recently. The official reason was given as a family illness, but those that have been around Candido and Cinch fear that other problems will be catching up with them. And uh, in the words of the great uh, class, should I stay or should I go now? So before Bam Bam had decided that he really was going to leave and go to WCW, he had been believed that he had changed his mind and was going to stay. Heyman had given it up to Candido and Tammy to fix the contract and get all the details signed out. But obviously due to the aforementioned personal issues that they are having outside of the ring at the moment, it never actually got signed. So as such, Candido signed the deal with WCW and is now off to them. And uh, the meanies are coming. The meanies are coming. Yep. The blue meanie will be finishing his schedule with ECW and has signed a full-time contract with the WWF. There's no official date as of yet when he will be turning up in the Fed, as he hasn't 
officially signed the deal yet, but he is on his way out. The BWO is dead. Unbelievable. So that has to be said, that is a turn up for the books that the Blue Meanie, of all people, has been signed by the Fed. Either of you have any rhyme or reason on how this one gets done? Well, uh, for me, it's uh, it, he's a terrible... I mean, he's very entertaining. Um, he's got a couple good spots. He can do a moonsault at three bills, which is nice, but he's overall a terrible worker. Um, they'll probably slide him into some comedy gimmick or maybe throw him in with the oddities if the oddities are still kicking about whenever he gets over there. But like like Sandman in EC or in WCW, Chris, um, we talked about how ECW is really the only place for this gimmick to get over and, and succeed on any sort of relevant level. And I don't know what Meanie's going to do because at least Sandman was a main event gimmick. This was an underneath gimmick in ECW. Yeah, this, this guy is always been part of a group he's never been on his own you i think you're right with that he ends up with the oddies bob any any feelings on meanie off on his way out i was trying to develop some kind of opinion on it but i simply despise the blue meanie so i can't really think of any reason as to why the WBF would want him maybe uh you know everybody gets a shot they mean they maybe they need more fat guys doing moonsaults i don't know yeah, Vader's um, gone, so. Yeah, so maybe he can fill that void. Maybe he'll get a blue mask, and then uh, he'll actually tell us what time it is or something. You know, it's 9.55 or something. I don't know. <laughs> Chris, uh, w- when when Sonny came over to ECW, mm-hmm. I think I was on I was on the show around that time when, when she had been released from the Fed. And it might have been with Rory too, and we all kind of agreed. Whoever was the group on that show agreed that Sammy, uh, Tammy coming in was the worst thing possible for Chris, and it didn't take very long at all for that to come true. Yeah, as I say, we've obviously heard lots of rumors and innuendo about you know what her what she was getting up to in the WWF before she left. Um, obviously, they uh, clearly haven't got any control of her here in ECW. You've, you've got a feel for them because clearly, you know, there's something underlining all of this, mm-hmm. whether it be some addiction or something that's happening. But why, I don't know why Heyman would say, leave it to them to who he could clearly see are, you know, not the most stable of people to deal with contract negotiations for one of your other guys. You know, I'd, I'd get it if he left it to Shane. Shane looks like the sort of person that, you know, other than his ego, would be professional enough to do something like that. But Candido well, and Sonny, you, you, you've, you've got that history there. You would think they, they would know better. I don't believe anything that Paul Heyman says when it comes to how ECW works. I don't think anybody knows what, what how how the sausage is really made. But yeah, it's 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 unbelievable they would let a guy like Bam Bam, who's one of the bigger stars in their company, and they need stars. We've seen um, would let them get away on a technicality like that. So if that's the if that's the yarn, Paulie's going to spin fine. Uh, but if I'm Bammer, I'm taking that WCW money and I'm I'm out of there for sure. Anyway. 
so obviously there was a lot of news about the pay-per-view um obviously we will cover the, the match side of it in full when we go through the review um but any of those sort of news trinkets that catch your eyes obviously my first one that came up to me was the fact they were thinking of using yoko zuna but they were told by the commission that he is too unfit to wrestle. I suppose it would have been a nice sort of visual to see Spike giving Yokozuna an acid drop. Uh, yeah, I don't want to see. I, I don't want to see a, a former two-time WWF champion putting over Spike Dudley in five seconds. I, I don't. I want Yoko to get fit and go back. He's too good for ECW. I'm a huge Yoko fan, and um, I don't want to see his his career devolve into um, into something where he he's brought in for a night to put over a guy like Spike. Um, I'm 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 fine with it being Mabel and the one man gang. I think they're they're fine for that role, but uh, I, I'm actually. I'm sad to hear that Yokozuna is still too unfit to go, but I'm I'm happy that his career hasn't yet devolved into something where he has to come in and put over Spike for a thousand bucks. Bob, anything you wanted to have uh, the pay per view notes? Uh, yeah, a couple of things. Uh, the Yokozuna one for sure was one of them. I, I would rather remember him as uh, you know the the guy that I was terrified of, you know, with the the Jim Duggan stuff. Um. A couple of years earlier, um, even though Mabel was like the greatest King of the Ring winner ever, I guess uh, it's okay that he's doing these type of jobs for little Spike Dudley. Uh, then the, the thing with Taz and RVD, uh, which I didn't notice until after watching the show, which we'll probably get into later on, but I could see the gripe potentially there with what Taz would have mm-hmm. going on there. And then the guilty as charged uh, potential lineup. Boy, do I wish that was November to remember. You yeah. Know, was a, a stronger overall card. Yeah, we also said last month that it seemed a bit strange that they were going to put all six of their top guys in one six-man tag. Um, obviously, we know there was there's reasons for it. Shane can't go full, fully yet. You know, he's only just got back off his injury. But the show really did suffer for the fact of having all of its top guys in one match. Whereas already going into the next show, you've got at least two matches out of this one main event that, you know, makes the show better. The only other thing I did want to mention coming out of uh, the news bit for the pay-per-view was how do you get a, the pay-per-view companies not knowing that they are showing your event and turning customers away when they try to order. Obviously, you know, here in the UK, our pay-per-views are with Sky or with cable and they're done through your main satellite provider. So you just click a button or you phone up the number and order it that way. Obviously, I don't know what it's like out there in the States, but, if you were to order stuff on pay-per-view, I take it you'd just give them a call and they'd, they'd happy to take your money. Why do these people not know they, what they're showing? Lacey, this is the same company that relied on cocaine Chris and Tammy to fax Bam Bam Bigelow. They're one of their, their top heel, basically, a contract. I'm not surprised at all that they managed to screw this up too. 
do, is this really on ECW or is this more a the pay-per-view providers? Because I would have expected it to be the actual people that are hosting the show to know that they're showing the show. You know, yeah. you don't go to the cinema and sort of go, oh, you're not actually showing the new film that you're advertising outside. Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I didn't have any issues uh, at West. Um, but, you know, yeah, you call them up and you say, hey, add this to my cable bill. And, and you go to the pay-per-view channel and there it is. And so um, I, I don't know. I don't know how this happened, but it, it wouldn't happen for WWF and it almost certainly wouldn't happen with WCW, although it might. Um, they, WCW has other issues with their pay-per-views, as we learned in October, but this this problem, I have to believe, at some level, was you could put some of the blame on ECW just based on how we know their past business practices are and everything. So, uh, yeah, yeah, maybe, I don't know, maybe the cable companies just aren't, aren't enthusiastic about carrying it. I'm not sure, but um, no issues over here. And, and if there was a major screw-up, uh, I have to believe some of that is on the feet of ECW's business management. Anything else you want to add, Bob? Well, I would think, just for my understanding, I would have to think it's more so the uh, cable companies probably not even having much care about ECW. They're probably relying more on WCW and WWF. They probably didn't even know the name of the event. They're probably like, what the hell are you talking about? We, we don't even... You know, they're probably... So low on the totem pole in returns in in, in terms of uh, how many people are buying them and stuff like that. They they probably just sweep it under the rug and honestly don't even care. They're just there to fill the the amount of time that they need for the month. They they probably don't even care about it. Yeah. So talking of pay per views, we shall go into the review of November to remember ninety eight. Eric, if you would be so kind as to regale us with the results. I will. Uh, these are the official results. Um, the Blue World Order, which is Meanie and Nova, defeated uh, Danny Doring and Roadkill. Um, Tommy Rogers uh, defeated Tracy Smothers uh, in a match from the 1989 Clash of the Champions. Um, Spike Dudley defeated Mabel, as we talked about. Uh, Lance Storm uh, went over Jerry Lynn uh, with uh, Mikey and Tammy as special referees. Um, Masato Tanaka and Balls Mahoney defeated the Dudleys, Bubba and Devon, um, and their crew uh, to capture the ECW Tag Team Championship. Um, as we mentioned, Jake Roberts teamed up with Tommy Dreamer uh, to defeat Just Incredible and Jack Victory. And then in the main event, the new triple threat, which is uh, Sabu, RVD, and Taz, uh, defeated the real triple threat, Shane, Bam Bam, and Chris Candido. So, going into this, obviously we we had our moans last month about you know all the the top guys all being in one match. You know, we we had hope, high hopes for it, but any sort of opening thoughts of what you felt how this went before we go into it match by match, Eric. This card looked disappointing on paper, and it was somehow even more disappointing uh, in execution. Uh, I don't think I need to spend any more time on it now because I've got a rant that will make our friend Rory proud uh, at the end of the show. And Bob? I had a sliver of hope that this would maybe be a uh, maybe a surprising show, exceed expectations, just because, I mean, I'll do a quick rundown here. Roger Smothers, to me on paper, 
hey, that might be a pretty good undercard match. Storm and Lynn, two very capable workers. The tag team match, you know, that's probably going to be, you know, a mess of a, of a match in terms of hardcore stuff. And then your six-man tag, if, you know, you know, worked correctly, could uh, have some entertainment value to you or, or, you know, to me. And needless to say, everything I just said had an opposite effect. So the show opens with Jack Victory saying that New Jack deserved his beating from last week in the stairwell. New Jack jumps him and leaves him beat down in the car park. We're now inside the building where Joey is running down the card and out from the crowd in full mortarboard and funk you comes Terry Funk who's mumbling and bumbling around about the fact that he hasn't been asked to be part of the show, isn't the mystery partner, and calls Tommy Dreamer a pile of shit. We then get our opening contest, which sees the Blue World Order, Nova and Meanie, going against Danny Doring and Roadkill. Nova and Danny start the match, Doring with a headlock and hair pulls, and then trade holds as Funk then comes back out from the back. Nova hits an X-Factor and tags in the Meanie. They double-team. We miss most of this because Funk's seen wandering around the ring, flipping the table over, pushing people out of the way, and basically looks like he's going to be the timekeeper. We then come back into the ring and see Roadkill's there. There's an exchange of shoulder blocks with the Meanie, and he then hits a neck breaker and a tag for Nova to come in with a leap leg drop and gets a two-count. A double catch bomb onto Danny for gets a two count. And Roadkill then splashes Danny as they're having a shoving contest. Nova hits a drop kick on Danny into Roadkill. Meanie then hits a bulldog. Nova hits a suicide dive and they go straight back into the ring where Meanie hits the people's leg drop onto Roadkill. At this point, Funk then gets involved by standing on the apron and slaps Meanie. Meanie doesn't like this, so punches him back, which he falls onto the table. The table, at this point, doesn't break. Roadkill and Danny are taking advantage, as Funk, for some reason, decides to leg drop himself through the table on the outside. There's a double-team move on Nova, but we don't really see it, as we're still being shown Funk in parts of the table. Danny hits an elbow and tags in Roadkill, and at this point, again, we see Funk breaking more bits of the table. Roadkill hits a neckbreaker. Funk then decides he's going to leave. Roadkill hits a clothesline, power slam, and goes up top and hits a massive splash. He then goes up top again and does a walk rope into a elbow drop, but misses. Danny in with a face drop, then goes up top and hits a leg drop for a two. Nova with some punches. Hits the Sledgematic, tags all round, Meanie in, and beats down both, hits corner splashes on both, and then a front slam onto Nova. Then hits a Moonsault and gets a two. Nova hits a Tornado DDT on Roadkill, and they hit the Blue Light Special on Danny Doring for the win. After the match, Funk comes back in and beats down the Blue World Order with the broken bits of the table. So, this 
this was just awful. Um, I don't get what the whole point of this stuff of funk is. I'm going to include the pre-show or the pre-match in with this as well. Why is Funk out here just not actually adding anything to the show, taking away from in-ring action and leg-dropping himself through a table? Bob, do you have any any ideas why that this... Uh, the only idea I can think of is that Paul Heyman, promoters, whichever, are basically saying, don't fucking care about this tag team match. Watching yeah. it, why I just I was taken so out of the match because of what Funk was doing. And to me, as a fan, and if I were to be promoting it, I would see it as being disres uh, disrespectful to the four guys wrestling. Sure, it's you know pretty much a meaningless match, but it is your opening match on pay-per-view. You're you have a paying audience both in the crowd and at home. This is not something on hardcore TV where you're getting for free at you know two o'clock in the morning or whatever. You've invested money into it, and all I can do sitting there is kind of you know feeling bad for the guys, <clears throat> and then feeling bad for Terry Funk's performance because he's just all over the place, making no sense of anything, and it's kind of uh, I would say it's cringeworthy, the entire experience from what I got out of the match. I mean, Nova and Doring were the entertaining aspects of it, but. The cameras were hardly on the match. It was all on funk. And it just seemed like a really misguided way to start your program for arguably, in terms of name recognition, your biggest pay-per-view of the year. Eric, any logic you're in, Tiva? I don't understand why you would not advertise Terry Funk showing up. I, I hate this in wrestling. Fans are always like, oh, we want to be surprised. We want to be swerved. Right. But it makes no fucking business sense because you're ECW. You need every eyeball on this thing you can to succeed financially. And you're going to have Terry Funk and the rest of the NWA roster from 1984 show up throughout this show. And you advertise none of them. It's so it's, – it's appalling. And so you bring in Terry Funk and you don't advertise him. Fine. Whatever. And then you do this with him, you completely waste him. It's not like Dick Roberts did much of anything in that tag team. Why not just have Terry Funk come in and help Tommy Dreamer, and then you can still do the angle where they break up afterward? It, it's it's mind-boggling. And then you have this match, and you're going to start a, a pay-per-view off, like Bob said, a pay-per-view off the cold match with four young guys. And of those four guys, you have three good workers, and Roadkill is very impressive in this match for the amount of time that they actually got featured. Roadkill's good. Doring and Nova are both very good. And then you have Beanie, who we just talked about, is a shit worker, but he's very entertaining. Probably a future world champion. World champion of something. Right. <laughs> so, but, but he's entertaining, right? And so you're going to put, and these guys are not featured on hardcore TV very much. And the BWO hasn't been featured very much since Stevie left. And so you're starting up your number one pay per view off with a cold match with four young guys who are underneath. And you're going to completely railroad any chance they have of making an impression or getting over by, first of all, not featuring them at all during their own match. And then the team that goes over gets beat up by Terry Funk, the unadvertised old guy that nobody knows what the fuck he's doing there. This was insultingly bad. And if I were the four guys in the ring, I'd be pissed. I cannot agree with you both anymore. Um you pretty much summed up exactly my thoughts on this. It was like, why the fuck is Funk there? Why the fuck is he 
all over this match and they're taking him as the main attention of it. And just, just I don't get it. And as you say, it only derails the young guys here that, you know, give them an opening match on pay-per-view. It, for, you know, for what the bits of which we missed could have been really entertaining and made the match that we were watching flow much better. Because when we did see stuff, even with, you know, the limitations of the meanie, it was still, you know, decent what we were seeing. You know, Roadkill doing the rope walk elbow drop, you know, for a big lad the size that he is, he shouldn't be able to do that, but he can. But the the whole match was ruined just because they're fucking insistent on letting Funk be this crazy uncle-type person that just has to make it all about him. And I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense on why. Well, it's all uphill from here, right, Chris? Yeah. About that. <laughs> so, our next match sees Tommy Rogers, who's down with Chris J, going against Tracy Smothers, who has Little Guido, Tommy Rich, and Ulf Herman with them. To open up, starting with headlock chain wrestling, that is until Ulf grabs Tommy's leg. Chetty then does the same to Tracy. Tracy then hits a sidekick, goes for some corner punches. Tommy hits a clothesline that puts them over the top. And then back in, Ulf then is win with a slingshot. Chris and Ulf go at it and seem to wander their way to the back. Tracy then chokes him. Guido comes in and hits a sleep leg sweep. They then also hit a superkick combo. There's more double teaming as the Big Don interferes and keeps hold of the ref. They then hit a double STO and the Italian elbow drop that gets a two count. And then Tracy sits in a long, long headlock. Tommy manages to get himself up with a leg sweep but misses the follow-up elbow drop. Tommy hits some punches and a knee lift and drop kicks to every member of the FBI. There's a power slam, and then he goes up top, but misses the crossbody, and Tracy rolls through and gets a two count. Tracy then hits a crossbody of his own, but Tommy rolls through that and gets a two. Tracy then hits a low blow and a side slam that gets a two. Tommy hits the Tomikaze and gets the win. Post-match, it looks as though the FBI will break up as they're all sort of pushing and shoving each other in that heated Italian way. But they all then decide to beat down Tommy Rogers instead. That is, until Chris Chetty makes a save. At this point, Ulf comes back out and has brought a friend in Mabel. They beat them down and batter Chetty as well. This brings out Spike Dudley. They beat him down to start with, and Mabel is about to go off the top, off the second rope. But Spike manages to uh, hit Mabel in the nuts and push him through a table. Spike then goes through some corner punches. 
We then roll into the match between Spike Dudley versus Mabel and Ulf Herman. Spike hits the acid drop using Mabel as a run-up onto Ulf. And then one onto Mabel and pins both of them. So we'll put both these matches together as they flow into each other. This is the cardinal sin. This was just boring. I can deal with bad wrestling. You know, you can find fun in bad wrestling. This was just boring, slow. And the whole spike comes out, low blow, acid drops, people, has got old already. Eric, do you concur or did you see this completely differently? Uh, concur with exposition as follows. So I get it. I understand the logic of having two established and, and, and Bob's a bit more of a, a wrestling historian too. And so like Bob, like you can get the idea of having these two kind of established Southern guys, Tracy Smothers and Tommy Rogers and having Tommy rich out here, you're working new Orleans and maybe you say, Oh, maybe we'll bring in a handful of those old NWA South, you know, Watts territory fans and, and get some new, get some old new eyeballs or new old eyeballs on this product. I, I kind of get that. But man, this is not the time or the place to play homage to, or or probably more accurately, exploit the territories. Like, like the first match here, you have two young, good younger workers, Guido and Chetty, like good solid technicians, and they're on the sidelines watching two guys in their what early forties now wrestle a, the opening match, in what would have been the nineteen what eighty nine Clash of the Champions or something like that, like. I don't. I don't understand this. This was the second match in a row, Chris. You hit the nail on the head. Where it's like, what are they? What are they doing? And especially you have Guido and Chetty here. Fortunately, they weren't in the match, so they couldn't really be buried. But they were still secondary to three guys whose whose primes have, in Roger Smothers and Rich and Tommy's always involved. Um, Tommy Rich, that is. Like, we have two good young workers, guys on the upswing, on the sidelines watching three guys who don't need this spot, and it doesn't fit with ECW. And then again. After the match, Pier 6, whatever, that's fine. It's the FBI. Everybody's got a faction in ECW. That's why there's no clean finishes. But you have another guy like Mabel. And we, we've dogged on Mabel a lot. And he's the worst king of the ring. And he's a pretty bad worker. I mean, he has some of the worst work stomps I've ever seen in my whole life on this show. I mean, just bad. He looked like he was going to fall over. But you, he still has name value. And he was very recently challenging for the WWF title. And you, another guy you don't advertise. And like I understand a lot of the stuff came together at the last minute. But it seems counterintuitive to even bother bringing somebody like Mabel in for this if you're not able to advertise for them ahead of time. Like what was the point of this? Again, like Terry Funk. You have Terry Funk. You have Mabel. You later on have the, the one-man gang. I mean, Jake Roberts. You have all these guys that you could promote and, and add some name value and recognition and credibility from older wrestling fans to your promotion. But they just show up to get squashed. It's so dumb. I'm not as I'm not as over the spike squashing big guys thing, but I wish it wasn't Mabel. And if it had been, I wish they would have fucking advertised it. That's for sure. Because ECW is just, oh man, it's so baffling what they're doing here. I don't I don't get it. The first two matches of this show were just like it set the tone for the rest of the night. I I don't think had anything good happened after this, I still would have been into it because it was it was so distasteful how this the first half an hour forty five minutes went. So, you know, it's one of those things, I've, I said it last month uh, when I did the Fed show, you know, 
I as I can deal with bad. I I don't like, and I feel it's a bigger problem to be boring. Yes. Um, and this is where it's just like it's just boring. I I can, uh, Bob, do. You, I know. I know you say that you like you know the old school stuff, and you have a a tendency to sort of be the historian and like that, like that old Southern style territory wrestling. But it's 1998. Does this have a place in modern society other than an armory or, you know, some county fair? Uh, I think so. And I'm going to, I'm going to go with a different approach uh, with my answer. I don't know if you guys acquire, you know, any of the fan cam footage that RF video will throw out there. You know, they record seemingly every show that ECW puts on, but you know, I've, I've grabbed a few over the last however long and Tommy Rogers is capable of putting on a good match. The guy can work. I don't think, I don't know if there's many people that would, could, that could debate that the guy can work a baby face match. He's got some good offense. Tracy Smothers can still put together a good match. You can work a good style. I loved him in Smoky Mountain and his feud with Dirty White Boy and all those guys. Right. The issue here for me is that Tracy Smothers is working a gimmick. He is relying on the FBI, so he is limiting what he has to do in the ring. The constant... Involvement of the FBI really prevents any action between Rogers and Smothers to fully develop. And it's a shame. I mean, I would have gave these guys 12, 15 minutes and said, just just work, a, just work a great match. I agree about Chetty and Guido. I don't know why Chris Chetty isn't wrestling on pay-per-view. This guy can do an incredible uh, double springboard moonsault. The, the guy... He's a young worker. The guy can work really, really well. Same thing with Guido. And we're doing this, and you got the Spike Mabel situation here. And then and, and you ask if the Spike Dudley thing, that routine, if that's getting old. As I had just mentioned with the fan cams, let's say if I have 50 of those, chances are on every one of those shows, he has done the same routine right. over and over again. And the same thing with television. So if you're watching hardcore TV, chances are, you know, there's four shows a month for hardcore TV. I would be willing to say 75% of the time, Spike Dudley is doing an acid drop to someone bigger than him for six seconds. So the the novelty of having the small guy going through all these big guys is for sure, you know, worn thin. The crowd loved it, apparently. They were eating, eating that aspect of it all up. Um, but for me, it was just like, I've, I've already seen this. I see it too much. There's no depth to it. It's just a small guy coming out and doing it. The aftermath with FBI teasing the turn, I believe, prior to that. I, no one bought that. I mean, there's there's no reason to suggest why anybody would buy into that. It just was really a poor structured angle or attempted angle and structured match. Rodgers and Smothers, I think, were just destined to fail if that was the layout for it because I'm still convinced, even if it is 1998, that Rogers and Smothers, if they're given the appropriate amount of time and to work a style where Smothers isn't uh, relying on a comedy heel angle or, or gimmick, 
that they could have put together a, a pretty good match. So uh, this was incredibly disappointing, probably maybe the most disappointing match for me personally, because as you mentioned, you know, historian and, and even watching the old Memphis stuff from the late eighties, you know, mid eighties for me in regards to Smothers and Rogers, this was a, a grossly um, disappointing match for me. See, you saying there that, you know, you can put Tommy and Tracy in, in matches and they should be able to sort of carry people. I would have preferred to see this as a tag match. Um, I think because then obviously you then do get Che and Guido in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, yes, they can still both go, you know, they're physically both there. You know, there was that period where they sat in a headlock for for nearly five minutes. Uh, it took out of the match quite a lot with, you know, oh, we've, we've done some energetic stuff. Let's sit in a rest hold for a while. Yeah. If it had been a tag match, you can, they could go out, you put in Guido and Jay, they can turn the pace up a bit. So that when it quickens with Smothers and Tommy, they don't have to go as fast because Chetty and Guido are doing, you know, the super fast stuff. I just think in this day and age, you know, with them, you could easily hide their their downfalls physically by putting them in a tag match and letting the others sort of take take the heat for for a little while so our next match sees lance storm with tammy lynn bitch going against jerry lim with our two guest referees mikey whitbreck and tammy lynn cinch before the match gets underway Tammy takes an age putting on her socks and trainers and flirts a lot with uh, not wearing a great deal as her referee's uniform. Starting the match with some really, really good chain wrestling with both of them countering and reversing holds. Lynn hits a snapmare into a corner monkey flip, but Lance lands on his feet. Lance does the same. And Lynn lands on his feet and puts on a drop toe hold. Armbar takedown by Lynn, but Lance with some punches, a press slam, which is reversed into a cradle for a two count. We get reverse pins that gets twos, and Lynn shoulder blocks and Gat gets a two as well. I must say, at this point, Tammy is doing the pins and is fast counting quite a lot whenever Lance is down. Lance goes for the belly to back. And Lynn counters that and gets another two. Lance then hits drop toe hold. Lynn puts on a hammerlock. Lance into the corner with elbows, chops, and then goes all the way over with a big clothesline and jumps over with a baseball slide that turns into a head scissors and a cannonball onto the outside. Back in the Lance then hits a springboard clothesline for a two count. Lance hits a stamp mare and it hits some knees. Puts on a headlock, 
Lin bows his way out and hits a crossbody that gets a two. And a head scissors. He's then on the apron when Bitch grabs hold of Lin. So Lance hits a drop kick to the floor. Lance then does a springboard crossbody all the way to the floor. And back into the ring, a corner roll up for a two count. Lance then hits the stroke and then puts on the surfboard. Lance tries to go for a powerbomb, but it's reversed into a roll-up by Lin for a two. Lance hits a superkick and only gets a two. Lance then puts on a sleeper, but Lin manages to belly to back his way out of it. They then exchange forearms and Lin hits a powerbomb and gets a two. He then hits the Gourd Buster and a Pedigree for a two. And another roll-up for a two, all of which Tammy is quick counting. Lin with drop kicks and Lance goes all the way off the top to the floor. Lin then hits a cross body to the floor, back in and Lance crotches Lin and then hits the belly to belly. Lynch gives them a standing seven count when Binch come in and shoves her. So Sitch pulls off all of her clothes. Then Mikey then shoves Sitch and hits whippersnappers on Bitch, Lynn, and Sunny. Lance then hits Mikey with an awful whippersnapper. Lynn gets the roll up, but Mikey turns him over and fast counts, and Lance is the winner. This was a decent match, you know. It, these two do really well. They work really well. They're very, very smooth. And surprisingly, this match wasn't ruined by the idea of having two special referees. But my, my overall thought with this was it was good, but this could have been great. Bob? I didn't. I didn't really like it. Uh, I didn't like the two referees. I didn't like that Tammy was in the ring. I feel she kind of caused things to unravel. I, I suppose. Um, I mean, I get why they would have her in there with her history with Lance Storm and everything like that. But uh, I mean, it was okay. The action was okay. Uh, but like you said, it, it could have been so much more. These guys, Storm and Lynn, are. I would probably have to say that one of the you know, two of the best workers they have in ring, you know, he's probably in the top, I don't know, five or yeah, probably top five or so uh, that they have right now. And then the, the special referee angle just limits what they could do. You know, Tammy not being an experienced referee doesn't help the whole situation. But another thing I didn't like about it is literally, I mean, aside from, I guess, Spike and Mabel, every match has had some sort of distraction. Funk in the, in the beginning, you have the two referees here. Um, you know, the FBI with, with Rogers and Smothers constantly getting involved. So they're not really focusing much on the in ring. So for me, it, I like, you know, no, no distraction. Just let the wrestlers play it out, leave the distractions for television. And, and right now on this pay per view, uh, that is just not happening. And uh, unfortunately, it's, it's not allowing for great in ring wrestling. Eric, 
Man, we complained in August about how Tammy's little bit of involvement with with Lance and Chris Candido in their match really took away from that. And this match involved two equally good and Jerry Lynn. I mean, Jerry Lynn's right up there with Lance Storm as far as I can tell as, as an in-ring guy, and he's just as good as Candido. And what they've done is they haven't done anything but dial up the, the bullshit. And so we have two guys here. I mean, Chris, remember when – and Bob, remember when ECW used to just say, hey, uh, Eddie and Dean, go out there and tear the house down for 25 minutes. And exactly. They, and those matches are still talked about as some of the greatest in North American history. This, the, I'm not saying that Lance and Jerry Lynn are on the same, you know, 1% of all workers level that like Dean and Eddie and Benoit were in 94, 95 when they were doing this stuff. But they're close. They're the best ECW has to offer. And instead, they're being saddled with these special refs and Tammy putting on her boots. And it's just, this match could have been so good. And it was sacrificed to the, to the, the, the storyline and cheap pop goblins. You know what I mean? Like... Oh, and then, so I wrote this note here, and so what we have is Jerry Lynn, a face, has the special ref, a heel, working in his favor against a heel. The balance here is is terrible. I mean, Jerry Lynn is a white meat baby face all day, through and through, twice on Sunday, and here he has referee inf influence and conflicts and stuff, and then the end of the match, and I'm just going to read straight from my notes here. Mikey beats up both women. The finish is fucked. Slow count by Tammy. Tammy hits a stunner on Lance. Mike kills Stunny with a fucked up stunner. Turns over a small package. Fast count for Storm. That shouldn't be the finish to a match with your two best workers. Like, this whole show is just is, is bad. And it doesn't get any better. So, I was the only one that took even a slight little bit of positivity out of this one, Ned. <laughs> You're reaching. You're reaching for something. What? Well, I, I needed something. We're an hour in, and I was just uh, I needed something from this. The first 75 minutes of the show, because Terry Funk's next, the first 75 minutes of the show are completely inconsequential to everything else going on. And and that just shouldn't be something that you pay money to watch. I mean, that's some that's some worst of the worst WCW WCW level stuff right there. It's just a completely inconsequential and meaningless first half of your card. Yeah. So as Eric had just said, Funk does come on our screens and tell us that he didn't want to punch Tommy, but he had to. We then get our tag team title match with Balls and Tanaka with Axel going against the Dudley Boys, Barbara and Devon, who are with Joel, Sign Guy, and Big Dick. Axel calls the Dudleys pussies and says they will ignore the state commission ruling on there being no chairs. So the Dudleys double-team Tanaka to start. Bubba hitting Tanaka with some massive punches. He gets a snapmare and then puts on a face lock. Elbow drop. Tag to Devon who comes in with some corner chops and a spinning back elbow. Punches and puts on a next vice. Tag to Bubba who comes in for a neck breaker. Gets two. Tags in to Devon. They double-team with some punches. Devon hits a low blow in a reverse DDT. A slam to Devon misses the people's headbutt, and Tanaka gets a tag power slam as balls come straight in and then hits a rope splash for a two. Bubba gets low blowed and super kicked by balls. Bubba then on the floor 
as Devon is backdropped on top of him. Tanaka then does a vaulting plancher, and Balls was going to go for one of his own, but stops only for the Dudleys to take advantage. Bubba in the ring, and he hits a plancher of his own. Tanaka whips Bubba into the railings and then hits him with a running chair. Back into the ring, three roaring elbows, one of which to the ref, and then Big Dick comes in and hits an Argentine backbreaker. Axel in with a chair and absolutely annihilates Sign Guy Dudley with a nutcracker sweep and a massive chair shot onto Joel. All four in the ring and have chairs. We get the dueling chair shots. Dudley's hit massive headshots and Tanaka and Balls eat them. They then hit roaring elbows, two chairs of their own. They get a two count. At this point, out comes Jeff Jones. He gets in but eats a massive chair shot from Axel. Balls and Tanaka then hit more elbows, but Big Dick comes in and grabs the rope making balls fall and hit the floor. Tanaka eats a 3D, but kicks out a 2. The Dudleys implode and start punching each other. The Dudleys big chair shots for two counts. Balls hits the Nutcracker Sweet onto a chair to Devon. Tanaka hits the Tornado DDT to Bubba. Both only get two counts. The Dudleys hit low blows. Devon hits a lovely pile driver on the chairs onto Balls. Bubba hits a tiger bomb to Tanaka. The Dudleys then go and get a table. At this point, out come RBD and Sabu, who attack the Dudleys and put them through the table with double top rope dives. Bulls and Tanaka get the pin, get the win, and we have new tag team champions. This was okay. It just never really got into full swing. It was always a bit stop-starty, and I don't know why we needed RVD and Sabu to come down and get involved in the finish. Eric? Yeah, it it was at this point in the show where I became convinced that Polly was trolling us, Um, because this show became How to Get Nobody Over 101. Okay, so Chris, we talked about last month that ECW had booked themselves into a corner, right? With either they hot shot the belts onto Tanaka and and balls, or Tanaka takes a loss on pay-per-view. And this is the first big pay-per-view, I think, that we talked about that ECW had advertised in Japan. Mm-hmm. So this match was, was troubled from the start. And so they have the same match they had on Hardcore TV a couple weeks ago, right? Uh, and so it, they even repeated a lot of the same spots. There was a moment where I was like, have I seen this match before? I mean, that's how tightly rewound some of the roster, right? And you're right, the match never really got going. And then, of course, because it's the Dudleys, and despite the fact that you and I had a five-minute conversation before we started recording today about how good of a worker Bubba, how good of workers Bubba and Devon are, their matches always devolve into this tons of interference, uh, walking ball stuff. So we have all of that, no surprise there. But then what happens is we have this finish where 
Balls and and Tanaka are in a position to go over the Dudleys relatively cleanly. I mean, I say clean, I just mean beat them with their own finishes in mm -hmm. the middle of the ring and put themselves over. But no, this happens all the time. They the Dudleys kicked out of the finishers, and the match went on for another three, four, five minutes. And then, it, and I said, how to get nobody over? Balls and Tanaka only win not after they hit their finishers, but after RVD and Sabu come out and take care of their their business for them. Take out the Dudleys, one, two, three balls, and Tanaka go over. Match that the Dudleys took an L, which they've been doing a little bit too much lately for my comfort level. And Balls and Tanaka were made to look like second fiddle in a match where they won the tag titles. So, again, I like what Paulie, Paulie's trolling us at this point. I'm, I'm convinced of it at this point in the show. Bob, have you got anything to add? Well, I mean, I'm not going to repeat what you guys are talking about because you're all making very good points. The, the one thing I took from this was that Joey Styles uh, on commentary kept on talking about if – Tanaka and Mahoney take one more shot to the head. Their careers are over. Really playing it up. And then the amount of chair shots to the head, unprotected or whichever, that happened in the match, and they are seemingly 100% okay, <laughs> completely takes away from any attempt to get sympathy or uh, emotional investment into the match for me. Because, you know, if, if – after one chair shot to Tanaka and he's stretcher out or something, then I'm emotionally involved and he were to come back or something. But he just pops right up and starts doing roaring elbows and all these things. So Joey Styles' attempt to provide a story, which has lacked throughout this show, goes right out the window because these guys are obsessed with just destroying each other with chair shots for oohs and ahs. Uh, the, the finish, uh, this is this – is, if you stick to that story, the obvious direction is to have Tanaka and Mahoney clean in the middle, hole in their necks. We did it. We're not dead. We won the titles. We beat the bullies. And instead, they need help from RVD and Sabu. Who repeated the same spot they did at the last pay-per-view, by the way. Again, it's, another repeater. Exactly. Right. So, I mean, this paper, November to Remember – is to, for me as a wrestling fan for ECW is WrestleMania. That's how it's, that's how it's always been ingrained in my in my brain. The big matches, you know, Douglas Bigelow last year. That's a that's a pretty big match, and then the, they had their super cards uh, years prior. This show is like ECW Thunder to me right now. I don't know what they are attempting to do with this program. If I would not be inclined to purchase another pay-per-view after seeing this train wreck of a show. I feel like I've wasted money. And I mean, Paul, I, I just, I don't, this is a baffling decision throughout this entire show. I will give Jeff Jones credit though, to find some positivity in here for that fake oh. attempt when he was like, Oh, my arm hurts or whatever. That, that was good. I oh, and that, he got absolutely leathered too. I mean, he took, Oh yeah. Team. Yeah, Jesus but, Christ! You know when he slid in and he was like one, two. He executed that very well, and then yes, he did uh, probably lose a couple years of his life because of that chair shot. But uh, yeah, this stuff is just baffling to me. And and as a longtime wrestling fan, historian, whichever you want to say, I mean, it's just this show is just driving me nuts. I want to rip my hair out, and I'm bald, so you can have some of mine. <laughs> no, no, thank you. I like being bald. 
All right. All right. I, I like doing it. <laughs> that's what this. That's how bad this show is. Is we're talking about hairstyles. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> so we followed that up with a triple threat promo, saying they're going to beat down the new triple threat as they are not a unit. Even the promo packages on this show are uninspiring. That none of them are even getting spliced in. We then have our co-main event of the evening, which sees Jack Victory and Just Incredible, who's out with Jason, Lance Wright, Chastity, and Nicole Bass, going against Tommy Dreamer and his mystery tag partner, Jake the Smackhead Roberts. I'm sorry, Jake the Snake Roberts. They brawl on the ramp. Tommy back into the ring and hits a knee lift. Jake hits a knee lift as he then gets backdropped onto the floor. Justin and Tommy brawl outside. Tommy hits a tope to all the heels to the outside. And then in the ring, Justin and Tommy go at it. Lance grabs Tommy as he's going along and then eats a baseball slide. Jack in and gets an atomic drop and a clothesline to the floor. Jack looks as though he's fucked himself, as we mentioned in the news, has done himself an injury and has put him out for the year. Tommy and Justin brawl to the outside. Back in, Justin puts in the boots. Jason in, in as well, puts in the boots on a Tommy on the ramp. Justin hits a power slam onto the ramp. Back into the ring and he hits a jumping DDT. Jason beats down on Tommy again as Jake is distracting the referee. Justin hits a long, long headlock. Jason is in the ring and gets whipped into the corner. Tommy hits a DDT and then a suplex onto Justin. Justin up, gets a chair in and hits the drop toe hold onto the chair. Misses the follow-up drop kick and then gets crotched as Jake comes in and boots Chastity. Tommy then hits the Dreamer Driver, tags in Jake, and Jason comes in. Jake beats him down and then beats down on Justin. Tommy in and both of them hit short arm clotheslines. They then set up for the DDTs as Ron Price and One Man Gang make their way into the ring. They beat down Jake and Tommy. At this point, out come the Gangstonators with their big old tray of toys. The traditional weapons brawl begins as New Jack and Cronus batter absolutely everyone, including some wonderful trolley shots, a golf club to the nuts. Cronus hits a 450 splash on Jason. Tommy hits a frog splash but gets a two count. He then hits a DVD on to Chastity. Tommy then hits a pile driver. Jake hits a low blow on Nicole Bass and hits her with a DDT. Justin hits a nut shot on Jake. Tommy uses the rocket launcher to Justin onto the ladder. Jake hits a DDT onto the ladder and gets the win. Post-match, Funk comes out to congratulate Tommy and says that Jake is a piece of crap. Funk calls Tommy an arsehole and beats him down again 
as Jake the Snake literally stands there watching on and then walks to the back. I will say this right now, in all, all of the time of watching ECW for this show, this is the worst match I have ever seen in ECW. And even New Jack couldn't give me any entertainment in this. This was utter shit. Eric, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've had to make you watch this. <laughs> to to the loyal listener, know that we've watched this so you don't have to. Um, so we'll start at the end, which is the one-man gang, yet again, another guy with name recognition, heavily featured at WrestleMania 4, was pretty recently the WCW United States champion, which still has some credibility, or at least did. And here we are, just another guy with name recognition and credibility in the wrestling business and historical ties to the New Orleans area, I, I believe, um, just appearing out of nowhere unannounced to in a fucked spot that is completely meaningless. So now we have Mabel, we have the one-man gang, we have Terry Funk, um, and, we're, and now we have Jake Roberts too. Um, and yes, Chris, this was just... <sighs> First of all, this wasn't Jake the Snake Roberts. This was Jake Roberts. This was Jake Roberts on a Sunday afternoon going to get groceries or marijuana or smack. Uh, I mean, this was, this was not the snake. This was Jake Roberts. So however, however this was supposed to go, whoever this was supposed to be, whatever this was supposed to do for anybody, none of it got accomplished. It's like that scene in Billy Madison where it's like, thank you for all of that. I'm now dumber for having sat through it. And that's how I felt after this match. <laughs> Yeah, it it's it's not good. Bob, I'm sorry that you had to watch this. Well, I appreciate the apology. I was going to be offended if you were going to apologize to only one of your fellow hosts uh, for the show. So I do appreciate the apology. Uh, but Credible, I thought the, I mean, the interaction between Credible and Dreamer, if you just focus on that alone, was uh, enjoyable for me. That's clearly the money feud uh, in, in regards to this match. But to go back earlier in the show, when New Jack uh, committed a felony assault on Jack Victory in the parking lot, I took that as if Jack Victory was being written off the show or whichever. And I could have sworn that New Jack was arrested or at least security got their hands on him or something of that nature. And yet he came in, he returned to the arena to then attack the heels of the match. So I don't know if we just forgot that we did that or if security sucks. Or I don't know what was going on. But that, that kind of bothered me just in terms of a, a, story, a story presentation. Uh, afterwards with the – I'm telling you right now, Terry Funk – I like Terry Funk. Okay? He's normally an entertaining guy. This show, as of where we are right now, and probably at the midway point, he had what we all know is called go-away heat. It's unthinkable. No. Terry Funk, go-away heat. I know. And, and I was just going to say, like, I never would have thought I would say the same guy that had, you know, great matches with, with Flair and all these guys. Early on in ECW, various matches with Shane Douglas, Sabu, whichever. 
And I'm sitting here saying, get the fuck off my television. I've seen enough of you. That is where I was at. I have no interest in whatever angle they're approaching, you know, trying to do here with Funk and Dreamer. Dreamer, oh, you're my dad. I love you. You're like my dad. I'm going to hit you like you're my son. I mean, I don't know what the hell they're doing. It's not, com- it's not compelling to me at all. Uh, in terms of Jake Roberts, the vibe I got from him was this is like your local independent wrestling show. Come on, see Jake Roberts at your National Armory for you know $6 tickets and popcorn. Uh, he was not – I mean, if you can't find a replacement for – you know, whoever you were going to have in there, Vader or whichever, then just have it be a handicap match or something. Um, or just use Funk for Christ's sakes and, and go from there, like like mentioned earlier. But, uh, yeah, this was just, this was a brutal, a brutal match that is not brutal in the, in the good way, obviously, but uh, just it, the amount of uh, frustration and disappointment is uh, at a high level for me. For the show. See, obviously, I said in the news that Jake was late on his plane and literally turned up sort of minutes before turning into the when the match was about to start. But you could have probably noticed the fact that he was in what looked like a rugby shirt and a pair of tracky bottoms. Yeah. That he wasn't there or interested. Why like, would you even just sort of let him still go out? Why would you not on the fly just go, fuck it, Chetty? There's there's going to be people floating around backstage. Spike, you know, or fuck it, New Jack. Sure. They could have done anything but let him go out there. Because I, I don't know what he was on. But he was definitely on something because he was not with us. And, you know, that whole thing of where we said the news that pay-per-view companies sort of actively saying that they're not showing this show or, you know, they have no idea about ECW. Would you be surprised that coming out of this show and just this match that anyone would want anything to do with ECW when... You've got people like Jake Roberts on your show. Man, it's embarrassing. Like, oh, Jake Roberts is one of the more well-known guys from, from the last era, you know. And there's a reason why he has not been employed by the WWF or WCW in some capacity in a, in a couple of years. Like, what, what, what were they expecting? Like, were they expecting... Jake Roberts with Alice Cooper from WrestleMania three, you know, in the best shape he's ever looked in the best, you know, in the most over he's ever gotten. Like you're hundred percent right. Like if, if the, if the answer to the question is Jake Roberts, don't ask the fucking question. Yeah. There's, there's just so much that they could and should have done instead of this. And it, it smacks of desperation, you know, Looking looking at him, he probably would have taken payment as a bag of smack. Paulie could have just gone, right, there's your smack, jog off. It's so sad. It's so sad. I'm starting to wonder if somebody that works at paper at the pay-per-view company, uh, you know, up in the office or something, maybe they're a big ECW fan, and they realize this show is going to fucking suck. 
So yeah. we're going to do our customers a favor and say, well, we're not fucking covering this. We're not taking it. We don't want to rob you of your money. So we'll just skip it. Or, or or of all the shows to end early, it's it's the one that has the DDP Goldberg match and not this one. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it is now time for our main event of the evening. Uh, before this, we do get a promo with RVD and Sabu together saying that they're going to work together and make sure they win. And obviously Fonzie's going to call it right down the middle. And then Sabu or Taz has a promo saying that even though he may not like them, he is going to team with them to take out the triple threat. We open the match seeing Shane in the ring with cutting a promo saying that Taz isn't a champ. He's a bitch and a pussy. RVD is a franchise wannabe, and Sabu just ain't shit. There's only one true triple threat. As RVD and Sabu make their way to the ring, they get jumped by the Dudleys, with them lobbing RVD into the crowd, and the Dudleys and Chris Candido triple team Sabu. That is until out comes Taz. Taz straight in with a head and arm Tazplex to Candido, a belly-to-back Tazplex to Devon, and a top rope head and arm Tazplex to Bubba. Bam Bam puts in the boots to Taz, and everyone is brawling outside. Sabu and Chris are in the ring. Chris puts in the boots. Shane then in hits a fisherman's buster to Sabu. Bam Bam beats down Taz. And they go to the outside. Chris hits a leg drop and a rolling neck snap. And Sabu hits some punches. A jumping sidekick, but Chris manages to get some punches until he's back dropped to the floor. Shane in with some elbows. And RVD grabs a chair and hits a chair shot to Bam Bam. Sabu hits the triple jump dive into the floor. And RVD then hits a springboard splash. Sabu back in the ring to do a triple jump moonsault onto Shane. He gets a two count. Bam Bam catches Sabu as he goes off for another springboard jump, which gets turned into a slam. All six men are brawling. Chris hits a par drive to Sabu for a two. They then triple team Sabu with him and Bam Bam. Chris hits a stalling suplex for a two. Shane in and hits a shoulder breaker. Chris back in and he hits a slingshot kick. But Ta- Sabu manages to turn it into an Arabian press and gets a two. Sabu hits a drop kick. RVD in and he hits kicks to Shane and a massive spin kick to Bam Bam. Chris puts Taz for a table on the outside. RVD hits corner kicks to Bam Bam. Bam Bam hits the soul breaker. Shane then beats on Sabu's leg. Chris in, hits a slam, and then a rocket launcher misses. RVD in with some big kicks, and then backstrops to everyone. Hits a frog splash onto Chris. Bam Bam tries to go for a powerbomb, but RVD turns it, spins out, and rolls into a spinning leg drop. Taz hits a lariat to Bam Bam, and then a release belly-to-back Tazplex onto Chris. 
Shane gets beat down by Sabu and hits the rolling leg drop. RVD hits a massive top rope rolling senton onto a chair. Taz and Shane go at it. Taz hitting some stiff lariats in the Taz mission. At this point, Sabu comes in and hits a top rope Arabian face buster and gets the pin. I am now going to have a drink. While you discuss that, I will let Bob go first. Well, it wasn't horrible. Uh, it was, <laughs> it was, it was okay. I mean, like I mentioned earlier, the whole R RVD diving to the floor. It they're clearly setting up an inter the interaction between Douglas and Taz. They want the anticipation. They want the crowd to be like, "Oh yeah, finally, whatever." And then he does the dive to the floor, and it just takes everything away from that moment. If they're trying to build to a future pay-per-view match, that's probably the moment you're putting in your video packages, you're putting on television for weeks and months, however long, and RVD, RVD deci decides, I'm going to go do a flip into the, into the crowd. So I can see where Taz is like, fuck you, Rob Van Dam. You just ruined a key part of the match. Now, the finish with Sabu, I guess, doing a chair-assisted Arabian face buster to Douglas and Douglas and Taz and then pinning Douglas, whatever. I mean, I don't really want to see Sabu um, feuding with Douglas or Taz at this point. It's been going on for about two years. I'd rather just Taz and Douglas go at it. They've been dragging that on for, what, since – July of 97 at this point, so it's going on for a while. There was no real structure to this. Just the finishing move, the signature moves, just in rolling out to the floor, just lazy structuring and booking of a match. The main goal, I would imagine, of the Sabu or uh, of Taz and Douglas, that interaction being foiled. Um, you know, coming out of this, I mean, I, there's nothing really to look forward to in terms of a future pay per view. And if I'm sitting there as the as the camera goes to black, I would be looking around and asking, why the hell did I just pay for that? Um, so certainly not a match that you know saved the show or anything for me. Eric, this is the main event of your number one show, and it involves six, arguably your six top, and if not your six top, six of your top eight guys, six man match. It goes less than 13 minutes, bell to bell. The main event of your number one show. Preposterous. Now is a good time to bring up that not only has the booking and the execution of the matches been terrible, but this show was filled with timing errors, and there was so much filler, and matches felt rushed at times and felt drawn out at times, and there were weird promos that felt like they were going on too long to stall for time. And you have a six-man main event of your number one show, and it goes under 13 minutes. This should have been a 25 or 30-minute match. So there, for what that was, Bob, you're completely right. The structure of this match was was bad. This thing was it immediately devolved into a shapeless, formless brawl, and only the Dudleys really know how to do that with some with any amount of entertainment. And it was disappointing, even as even on those standards. And so, and then, so if that's not bad enough. Your world champion's been on the shelf for six months with an arm injury, and he does the fucking job in his first show back to a guy he's not even feuding with. Like, I can't, I can't even begin to describe like how 
And then the show just ends and it ends 15 minutes early. They didn't even hit the 245. Like I, I can't, it was like from bell to bell on every match between every match and after every match on this card, they did everything they could to take away any sort of momentum that any individual wrestler or the company could have had at any point. Just utter shit. So is this the worst show that either of you seen as part of this project? Bob? Um, I w- yeah, yeah, I would say so. I mean, it's, it's probably not even close. I mean, I, I, mean, I sat through uh, Ro- Road Wild, a dose of Road Wild, and uh, I mean, at least I was laughing at that i mean i wasn't even laughing at this this was pretty this is this is a brutal show yeah i would say this is my least enjoyable show i've watched for this project eric same question i don't know if i was on the show um but i know sold out 97 has come and gone um and i think about that and i'm like well at least that show had that awesome ladder match between eddie and waltman um that was pretty straightforward and executed for for the amount of trash that was on that show and there was a lot of it miss nwo um this this card didn't even have something to to hope to redeem it and um unlike sold out which was framed as a show that was built to bury half the roster because that was the feud this show managed to do it on its own see this is the thing you you mentioned sold out you can even sort of mention something more recent as in you know the Halloween Havoc last year, the last month. Oh no, that show just they, had really one bad match on it. It was fine otherwise. They have, as I said, they they have like awful things, but they're not boring. They're just bad, and you can you can pick out what's bad about them, and you know you can make fun of them. You, know, you can make fun of Miss NWO. You can make fun of the fact that you know. All of sold out was let's put make Hogan like the biggest thing ever. This whole show has the cardinal sin of being overly boring, which I mean, as a, as I have said a few times already today, that that's the bigger issue to me and a bigger sort of red flag. You know, bad is funny. Boring is boring. Um, yeah. Let's let's hope that, you know, obviously going forward, there is no bam bam for the, the triple threat. That we are not going to get a six man tag match with all six of the biggest guys in the company in a match on a major pay-per-view. And as we said, this is this in the ECW world, was the first sort of super event and has always been like their one of their biggest events of the year and they have absolutely shit all over it. Bob, I will come to you first for your overall thoughts and your score rating. Well, there's nothing worthwhile to sit through. Uh, in terms of angle advancement, you're probably not missing anything. Uh, the, like... Like you just asked, this is probably one of the worst shows I've ever watched. Uh, I will not suggest anybody watch it. So I mean, I'll give it like a two and a half out of ten 
just I mean, I'm not gonna give him a zero, so I'll just give him a, a two and a half out of ten. Uh, just a a poor showing from ECW. Eric, we've seen shows that are bad, and we've seen shows that are boring, and we've seen shows that are remembered for the wrong reasons. Um, but I, I now that I'm thinking about this, I've never seen a more disastrous rest, major wrestling pay per view in my life. This, this is not only the worst major ECW show that I can remember. This is the worst show that I can remember. Now that I'm thinking back, Starcade '91, King of the Ring '95, sold out. Like the ones that always come up. But the the difference between those and this overall is ECW has this boatload of young talent, and they completely don't know how to use it. No young guy had a chance to make an impression here. There were timing issues all over the show, tons of stalling, not a single memorable match, not a single memorable angle, nothing. They squandered everything. And actually, everybody on this card and the company itself comes out looking worse on this show than they did before. If this show had never happened, everybody on the show and ECW itself would be in a better place than they are after it. I can't think of another show that we've watched in timeline or that I've seen personally before the show started that has managed to actively make everything and everybody that had anything to do with the show worse off. This is a zero out of 10 show. So I, as, as we've said quite a bit all over this, um, I'm massively disappointed with this. Yeah. You know, in the news, I, I played on words and went with this is a November to forget, and it really is. November to remember is always one of those, as we said, is basically ECW's sort of original flagship pay-per-view, big event, video exclusive. It's always been where the big feuds end and the big things happen. And going into it this year, it never felt like it was that important. The fact of we only knew two or three matches going into the last week of TV before the pay-per-view says everything you need to know about this. Um, it seems as though ECW didn't care, so we don't care. Um, because, you know... I can't be an absolute heathen and give them a zero. I can only give them a one for this, but avoid this like the plague. Even even when it's mediocre, is no just just do yourself a favor and don't come and watch this. I never would have thought two and a half would be the highest score. Probably the yeah. first time. I, mean, so, I, was, I was being nice. <laughs> <laughs> so it will be time to wrap through some TV for the rest of the month. The first week's TV post-pay-per-view literally is just highlight videos and stills from the pay-per-view. So we are ignoring that. So we will go straight to week two's TV, which opens up with Taz in the ring with Joey Styles. You'll hear that now. Pittsburgh, 
Shane Douglas choked out Brooklyn style, right in New Orleans. And as usual, Sabu has to steal Taz's thunder. Well, I'll tell you what, when I get the chance again, I got a problem with Shane Douglas, and now Sabu. So fast, morons. 
just as always, the two of us are two steps ahead of every one of you idiots. before January, you take that scarred up freak and you break his neck, you break his spirit, you break his will, you break him down so I can beat his ass in January. And Taz, I'll lay the world at your feet. I'll give you this. I'll give you this. Taz, you do the heist, and I'll pay the price. Stop that movie before January, and it's all So what you've just heard is him obviously telling us that he felt that he was robbed. Out comes Shane, who said originally the FTW stand for nothing, but now stands for the FTW. Shane wants Taz to do him a favour and take out Sabu before January, and he'll get triple threat money, a title shot, and a go at Francine. We then get a tag team match between the Dudleys and Balls and Tanaka for the tag team title match. Before the match, Joel Gertner dedicates the match to Axel's Nan, who is uh, very unwell. Um, Axel's obviously not here tonight because of this. And it was a really nice, heartfelt promo from Joel which you're about to hear, and also Bubba's comeback. tonight because Axel Rotten will not be in attendance and ironically enough it has nothing to do with his own injuries Axel Rotten is at a medical center in suburban Baltimore Maryland he's tending to his grandmother who is ill with cancer I met his grandmother 
at a wrestling show in Baltimore four years ago. I've been to her home. The Dudley Boys could care less about Bulls Mahoney or Masato Tanaka. We also don't like Axel Rotten. However, as somebody who knew Axel Rotten's grandmother, I proudly tell you that tonight's show here in Queens is dedicated to Axel Rotten's grandmother. Well, I'll be damned. That was a very classy thing to do. Brother Gertner. I don't want to call you a liar, but you kind of bent the truth just a little bit. Syphilis. That, that is not true. That is a disgusting, distasteful lie. And correct me if I'm wrong. About two weeks ago, you handed that old bag $2 and stuck it in as deep as you can. And now the poor old has got the sickle cell by injection.
So as you just heard there, Bubba goes full cunt on that. He is easily the biggest heel in the company and probably the biggest heel in America with such wonderful things of Devon gave Axel's Nan the disease after spending a night with her. During the match, Gertner gets hit with one of the most sickest chair shots I remember seeing. So hard that it actually breaks the chair. The Dudleys win the match after hitting 3D. So before we go into the next part of the TV review, this this match is a million times better than anything else on that pay-per-view or that we've had so far from ECW this month. This is what we should have got in that title match, uh, the pay-per-view. Eric, how is it they could do this so much better now? This was this was a thousand times better than the pay-per-view match. And I'm actually glad that we were able to talk about this because I was thinking back and I was like, shit. I guess there was a tag title change at, at November to remember. And so me saying that nothing on that nothing that happened on that show had any consequence was, was wrong. Oh yeah, but then they just hot shot the bat, the belts right back to the Dudleys and pretended that Balls and Tanaka never had the belts uh, two weeks later. So yeah, I'm sticking to my zero out of 10 rating after remembering this match existed, first of all. Second of all, this was so much better than everything on that show. And it was different and it was violent. And yeah, and but Joel Gertner getting hit with the chair, that's a pay-per-view moment right there. I mean, Jeff Jones getting hit with a chair shot, that's for hardcore TV. Joel Gertner, the guy who never gets physical, getting walloped with a chair shot. That's a pay-per-view event. Um, yeah, I don't like the belts being hot-shotted. I don't like that this made the only thing of any possible note that happened at the pay-per-view completely, you know, fully meaningless. Uh, but as as a match goes, yeah, this was this was fine. And if this match had been on November to remember as it was in this exact form, we would have had something positive to say. But in, in the fact that it happened on TV means we don't. Bob? Well, that's a that's a great point about the Joel uh, Joel Gardner because I mean watching the match at no, November to remember when he was about to turn around, I thought he was going to get smashed with it, and I would have been like, oh shit, like that would have been great. So that's a really good point. Uh, while you know Jeff Jones getting it doesn't really matter. Uh, the yeah the tag match on TV was significantly better. If you put it on pay per view and you have the same finish in terms of Tanaka and Balls winning, then at least there's that. Not to the same level in terms of probably in ring, you know, entertainment, but you have the equivalent for what Six and Eddie would have done at Sold Out '97. So there'd be at least with that one aspect of the mat of the show that you can pick. Okay, at least that was enjoyable. Uh, as to why they can't do it on Bayview, I mean, I think the biggest flaw with November to Remember was the poor planning and lack of execution of plans. So when you're able to plan out television and have a structure to it. Uh, you get the type of results here. So not being able to successfully structure a pay-per-view, maybe a weak part for Paul Heyman and ECW, but to structure a television show and and the, that type of format is something that he has always excelled at. So I think that that might be you know part of the reason as to why the TV match was significantly better than the pay-per-view. So we followed that up with 
a TV title match with Tommy Dreamer versus RVD. RVD gets the win after hitting a superfan dominator. During the match, Taz, Justin, and Shane all do get involved. Again, another match that was way better than anything else that was on the pay-per-view and a much better use for RVD than being part of a six-man tag. Uh, Eric, again... Uh, I'm just bitchy now. How... Be- yeah, yeah. I'm just bitchy now because, like... I'm sorry, finish your question. I started complaining before you could even finish your question. <laughs> yeah, is it how, again, can we have matches of this quality on TV, yet we pay for three hours of draws? Yeah, and I don't even know if this match was very good. Like, it started out well. I mean, RVD, he's probably my favorite worker right now, and Tommy just knows where to be and how to go with a, for a guy with pretty limited athleticism. Um, and I, they were they were into a good match, and I think these two could have a nice program down the road. But of course, uh, you know it's television; it's a television match, so you can't expect anything anything less. But just a ton of interference, and like now, all the battle lines that were really neatly drawn and easy to follow have all been kind of washed away with all the interference from Shane and and then Taz coming out and who's you know whose side is he on and that kind of thing, and and it's just a mess. I mean, structurally. Uh, you know, to kind of steal an idea from Bob, like this was a, a well-executed television match, but the storylines that, that have resulted from the pay-per-view and the fallout from the pay-per-view, it's just a mess. And I don't know how they're going to unwind this in time to de- deliver a decent card. This was a fine television match, but I, <laughs> maybe I'm just, maybe I just need to, you know, take a couple weeks off of ECW and come back with a reset. Cause even something like this, that was entertaining in itself, I just couldn't, I couldn't help but see all the all the holes they're digging. Bob, uh, I think it helps that these matches are taking place in Queens, which is an mm-hmm. ECW area. So that's probably helping in terms of match quality. You're going to have a more lively crowd, you know, 900 people, whatever. That's the audience that they're really truly going for. So I do, I do want to mention that 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 probably helps in terms of the entertainment quality. Uh, the Dreamer RVD match, I I, I enjoyed it. Um, I mean, one one of the better Dreamer matches for me in recent memory, um, you know, I feel like, I mean, his stuff with credible has been pretty good, but kind of redundant, uh, at this point. But, uh, yeah, I think in terms of why, you know, the, the TV is getting is better than the pay-per-view, uh, even if, you know, the angles are not entertaining and I'm right there with you in terms of maybe I have to take off a month or something and come back uh, in the new year to see where they're going. Uh, but I think it's all about, you know, where are the matches taking place? You know, if, if this match were to be taking place in, you know, Southern California, is it going to have the same impact? No. I mean, so you got to play to the audience. If this was in Philly, it probably would have gotten a great reaction as well. So I think it's, I think that part of presentation does play a part into the overall entertainment of matches. See, I look at this show and I'm just like, what they did in 45 minutes on TV was better than everything they did in two hours and 30 odd minutes of pay-per-view. And this is free TV. Well, another, another aspect, I don't, I don't mean to cut you off or anything, but another aspect of this is that the television is being, you know, you're able to edit that on pay-per-view. You're not able to edit that. I mean, there's been numerous instances where they would edit matches 
you know, clips of whatever to make guys look far better than what they actually were. So that, I mean, that mm -hmm. could be another example here, although I do believe they were shown in full, but there are ways to get around of, Hey, you know, Tommy dreamer is, is this hardcore. And then if you see him live, it's like, well, he's actually pretty tame. This is all about the presentation of the TV. You can't do that on live pay-per-view. You don't have that luxury of being in a, in a room for hours on end, just nitpicking every aspect of it as well. That is true. So we will go into week three's TV, where we get a awesome package, which basically catches everything up with what's been going on over the last few weeks. We then get Lance versus Mikey. It was meant to be Lan Lynn versus Mike Lance, but Mikey wants to have a go. Lance wins after hitting Lynn with a whippersnapper. We then get a Ooh. new Jack promo, which is long and sweary. We get some fan cam footage of Shane versus Sabu. Both men are bloody messes. Sabu is spiking him. Both men pinned each other. We then get a impromptu match between Bam Bam and RVD, which RVD wins with the Frog Splash. We then get a title match between Spike and Shane, which ends in a no contest when Sabu and Candido get involved. And as we go off the air, Taz puts the Taz mission on Sabu. So, this week's TV, not as, as eventful as uh, the week before. Anything from this one that you uh, wanted to sort of go over any more detail, Eric? I, I'm not so keen on, on the three-way match that they're building towards with... Um, I mean, t I've had enough uh, with, with Shane in the top of the card, so I'm going to leave that alone. But um, I'm not so keen on a three-way match between Lance and Mikey and Jerry Lynn. But I do kind of like that Lance has a little bit of a character now and that he does have a program. And it, the match with um, with Lance winning, you know, after Jerry came in and kind of took both guys out and showed a little fire, I thought that was a good finish. Um, and that's a good that's a good TV angle for me right there. And I, I, I just don't know why Mikey Whiprick has to be involved with this angle. Maybe, hopefully, it'll lead to just a straight wrestling match between Lance and Lynn, which we're, which we're not getting. Um, but at least as a TV angle, I thought that was entertaining. Bob? Well, for me, it's this angle that's currently going on between uh, Taz Sabu and Shane Douglas. I get, I'm just trying to wrap my brain around this as to why uh, Shane would feel like it's a good idea to have Taz, who also wants his championship to take out Sabu. To me, if I'm Shane Douglas, considering Sabu is, you know, a walking train wreck and will just put himself through whatever and cost himself more matches than win, uh, that I would be more inclined to uh, not want to fight Taz. I mean, promising these championship matches or whichever, it seems pretty short-sighted um, for me. So as a fan, like, trying to understand why a heel is doing this, uh, isn't really connecting with me. I am uh, intrigued, though, with the uh, Mikey, Lance, and, uh, and Jerry Lynn three-way feud there. I think th I think they could have some really entertaining triple threat matches. But, you know, you have that angle going on with three guys, and you have another angle involving three guys. One of them is going to look watered down. So yeah. I would imagine that the guys that are in the undercard would 
you know, suffer realistically because, you know, Douglas, Taz, and Sabu are the bigger names. So I, and I think in that, in that sense of the planning, you know, you're, you're limiting the effect of uh, one of your ongoing feuds. So I don't, I don't think that's too good of an idea to be doing that. Eric. You know, I, I, you know, I'm just so frustrated with that. We're not just getting, why aren't we just getting chain and, and task? Like why, why are we pivoting? I don't understand. Like we've been waiting for a year and a half for Shane versus Taz. Shane comes back in his first match in six months and does the J-O-B to Sabu and not Taz. And now all of a sudden, after these two have been in a blood feud since Russell, since Russell Palooza in 97 or before, I, and now I don't understand it. I don't get it. And now, and then, so the obvious finish to this angle is that Taz was swerving Shane all along and Taz takes out Shane, right? Like, but that won't make any sense either because I don't get it. Heel Taz, fine. Taz maybe should be a heel. Turn, turn turn Shane face or make him a tweener. He, he gets, he gets face reactions anyway. However you get there, just get to Shane and Taz or else we've wasted the last year and a half. Mm. It, it does seem that again, they're trying to, trying to be too clever for their own good with some of the booking. Um, as I said in the news, it looks as though it's going to be Taz and RVD at the pay-per-view and Sabu versus Shane for the title. Obviously, with the fact of Shane getting or of Sabu getting that title shot because he got the pin in the six-way tag match, that makes no sense either. By the way, because that, really that wasn't didn't. that wasn't talked about on the show, and no. they've been and they've been building up to Shane versus Taz, and now all of a sudden Sabu gets a a cheap pin in a six-man tag, and he's the number one contender, and we're supposed to forget that Taz has a, has a claim to the belt? Like, man, this is so bad. This is WCW, WCW 91 shit right here. It's so bad. Yeah, it, it's not looking great, is it? So we go into week four, the final week's TV, and we open up with footage of an ambulance getting driven off into the crowd. We open up with a Shane promo, which you'll hear now. Welcome to the house, the franchise belt. It's been obvious since November to remember. You morons want to see Rod Van Dam and Sabu kick my ass.
Troy Martin and Francine Fournier want to say to the ECW shooter. For five years, as I've climbed the ladder here in ECW, there has been one person who has constantly been right behind this shoulder. He's been my shadow, and that person is you, Taz. I've not been able to shake you. You see, I know why you and I dislike each other so much. They say opposites attract, Taz, and we ain't opposites. We're cut from the same cloth. You and I are the same beast. takes place in the dressing room. I air my laundry out in public. When I threw the NWA title down, I could have done it in Corluzo's face in the back. Instead, I did it right here. When I lost the World's Heavyweight title, I could have put a Monday Night Raw shirt on outside. Instead, I had balls big enough to do it right there. And when I told shove his jaw up his ass till he choked on it. I didn't do it by writing some letter and hiding behind a notary. I did it right in this damn ring. In public. Every single world champion in ECW has been humbled by this belt. Terry Funk, Sandman, and even Sabu. But there was one person who told the world he was worthy of being a world champion. That was me. The truth hurts, doesn't it, idiots? Because I know you're the man that will beat me, Taz. I've said it, okay? I've said it. Is that what you people want to hear? I don't mind you putting the bullet through the back of my head, Taz, because you're old school, just like me. And I don't mind a wrestler getting a shot at the world title. I do care about a getting a shot at that title. Shot. You, Taz, do. You've made yourself a world champion. Taz, for you and I to step in the ring, we'll call it the OK Club.
corral. There's only one way the franchise makes it. I got a bullseye on my back. I got Sabu wanting a shot. Does Shane Douglas actually think that Taz is going to buy this line of crap? It's a vintage franchise. He's trying to manipulate Taz. He's trying to make Taz his personal protector. He's trying to make Taz do his dirty work. If you morons are done, I'll finish my point and Francine and I can get back to some serious business. ECW's pushing him up that ladder. He's breathing down my neck. I hear people in the dressing room tell me, just incredible, he's got your number. Taz, for you and I to ever find out who the better man is, you've got to watch my back. You see, Douglas wants an assassin, and he wants Taz to take the job. In the back, I've sent it through your messengers, I've sent it in public. You do the heist, and I'll pay the price. I tell you what, Taz, why don't you and I see what you and I can do together? I say tonight, you and I, Taz, challenge Mr. Monday Night Rob Van Dam and Sabu. This is the match everybody wants to see. Obviously. Obviously, he goes on about knowing that the fans want RBD and Sabu to kick his ass, but it won't happen as he has a plan. Out comes Taz. Shane says that he and Taz are the same. He knows Taz would be the one that has his back and that Taz will be the one that takes his belt. We then have a TV title match with RVD versus Ron Price. RVD wins after hitting the five-star frog splash. Lance and Lynn, which turns into Lynn and Mikey in a back-to-back match. In the first match, Lance beats Lynn after hitting a price shot with uh, Tammy's bag. And then in the second match, he beats Mikey after Lynn hits Mikey with said purse again. We then get a tag match between RVD and Sabu versus Shane and Taz. Sabu and RVD win after Sabu hits a chair sandwich Arabian face buster on Shane. Post-match, we see Shane get put in the camel clutch, only for Taz to put the Taz mission on and turn that into a Tazplex. We are led to believe that this has broken Sabu's neck as he doesn't move and the paramedics come out and take him to the back. Taz does have a look of remorse and disgust on his face, and everyone fills into the ring. 
they're about to put Sabu on the stretcher. And Taz decides to attack Sabu as he's on the stretcher. After they put him in the ambulance, you then hear a phone call where Taz has phoned in to the ECW arena to let them know that he is going to find what room and what hospital they are taking Sabu to so he can go and attack him again. For 57 minutes, we've been rolling live to tape covering the incident that occurred here tonight at the ECW arena. And as of now, there are two two schools of thought. The first one says that Taz bid on Shane Douglas's bait, that he took out Sabu for the franchise and for a price. Is that price Sabu's world heavyweight title shot? Because the franchise never made that promise. The second school of thought says Taz was justified after what Sabu did at the 1998 November to remember. Either way, I don't want to speculate because Taz has called in on his cell phone. He's on the Jersey Turnpike. Let's patch his call through. Oh, my God. Oh, boy. You would think the president himself got shot in the head. Everybody's running in the ring. Security, wrestlers, wannabe wrestlers, referees, owners of wrestling companies. <laughs> and there they are, thinking, oh my God, Sabu's dead. <laughs> and Taz killed him. And look at this, Taz is showing remorse. Taz feels bad that he hurt Sabu. What a bunch of marks. And as soon as they left their guard down, I went over to Sabu's limp body and stomped a mud hole in his ass again. But when I got hurt in 95, ain't nobody give a flying f about me, right? When I broke my neck in Fort Lauderdale, they left me there for dead and I walked out the ring myself. You see, this thing is all Sabu's fault. The whole thing was that the November remember, he struck three times on me. Once, by stealing my thunder. The second time, that chair off the top rope onto my head. And third and most importantly, taking my number one contender spot. See, Sabu's a dumb b He's an out-of-control freak. And he struck on me three times in one match. Shot his load. Not Taz. Uh-uh. I struck once tonight. And look at what I left behind. And I ain't done. There's two more receipts owed to you, Sabu. And you know they're coming. And I know you're coming back from this next thing that I just did to you with this suplex. Bro, this ain't enough to keep you down. And I know it ain't because I don't want it to keep you down. I know you better than anybody, you know me better than anybody. So, Sabu, you come back nice and strong, brother. Because I'll pick my spot again. I owe you two receipts. I'm striking twice on you again, brother. You see, I'm Taz. The FTW World Heavyweight Champion. Beat me, if you can, Sabu. And most importantly, you dumb mother... That concludes the TV for the month. Eric, I'll come to you first. Um, obviously, week four, we've just obviously gone over. But on top of what your thoughts were for this last week's worth of TV, do you think that by the looks of it, they're more focused and ready for what's going to happen at the next show in January than the haphazard way they booked the last pay-per-view. No, because they're already running an angle where the guy who's apparently in the main event now has a broken neck. So they 
clearly don't know what the fuck they're doing. Like, I, it's it. The money prints itself. Shane versus Taz, and put a diff, a decent undercard below it, and that's what everybody's been waiting for. And they're not they're not doing it. And now Shane and Taz are in cahoots. Uh, I'm just and and the way that they go about this Taz heel turn, you know, you break Sabu's neck, but who hasn't broken Sabu's neck for Christ's sake? And then the bump they did it on looked really safe, frankly. And I don't know mm-hmm. if Sabu actually got hurt a little bit or not, but like the, it looked like a safer Taz bump, and there aren't that many. Um, really, really good. And then I wouldn't. I mean, this is a matter of choice, but I wouldn't have had Taz continue to attack Sabu right there. I would have saved that. And ECW feels like they're hot-shotting some of this. I mean, traditionally the way it's done, and I think the way it would have been more effective, would be to have Taz accidentally, quote-unquote, injure Sabu, have Joey Styles try to get it over as, as it was done on purpose, you know, play it out. The month of December is already, you know, ECW's wasteland anyway, so play it out for a month. And then in January, right before the pay-per-view, you come out and say, yeah, I broke that fucker's neck. I did it on purpose. And then you have heel Taz with that ECW crowd, you know, vitriolic, wanting wanting blood. And then, then that helps better explain why Shane and Taz isn't happening right away. Mm. But this, you just get a Taz calling in from a from a phone at the close of a show in a month that has already done a lot of damage. I just, I don't know what they're thinking, Chris. And I'm, and they're going into a dead month anyway. So this is all we have until January. I'm not at all confident that they're going to build a pay-per-view card that's worthy of any amount of money. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure exactly the date of the guilt is charged in in January. Um, I'm hoping that one of the weeks of Hardcore TV will be dedicated to the ja- the Japanese tour. Um, I would imagine one of them will be a clip show or something. So there's not going to be very much progression next month. So. I would have imagined that they were gonna, if they were gonna do it, they would start now with getting people paired up and you know getting people ready for the ball. So that's what I would say from there. Um, Bob. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I would have gone in the same. I don't know if I would go in this direction. Um, they do the same. Uh, or a similar finish here with Sabu getting another pin over Douglas, you know, to give that momentum. They do all this. If you're if you're going to do Taz RVD, if that's your plan, uh, I would be more inclined to have Van Dam pin Taz here, uh, or or get some kind of win, whether it be fluky or whichever, because RVD seems to be, well, not seem to be. He is a, a egotistical guy, an egotistical character. He's all about himself. So can you just imagine for the next you know four to six weeks or whatever on TV every week? If RVDs is rubbing it in Taz's face, me as a viewer, I might be inclined to uh, be interested to see Taz toss him around. And I think Taz tossing RVD around would be a great visual because RVD is a, you know, a long guy and kind of uh, got has that build where a suplex, you know, off the top rope is going to look pretty great. You know, he probably could take a good bump off of that type of stuff. So I think them working together would be fun, and and that maybe that kind of story would be better off than. Uh, doing an injury angle for Sabu for a title match that you're trying to promote in a month and a half that he broke his neck. I don't know what they have, their obsession with, uh, you know, people having head injuries, which they did with Tanaka and Mahoney. 
but maybe that just means Sabu will win the ECW World Championship when he has the title match. I don't know. But uh, I, I would be going in a different direction um, to promote the guiltiest charged uh, main events. So that will bring us to an end of this month's show. First things first, I'd like to thank you, Bob, for joining us. Did you have anything that you wanted to promote? Uh, yeah, I just uh, got two things. I have uh, a podcast with my buddy Austin Skinner where we've been talking about WWF 93. It's called Icopod, I-C-O-P-O-D. Uh, we're up to uh, November of 93, so we're uh, going through the Lex Express and trying to survive that. He was one time a fan, and now he's jumped off the bus, so we'll see how that goes. And then I also have a website, wrestlingrecaps.com. I got a, an unhealthy amount of articles, wrestling show reviews, pay-per-views, and stuff like that. So if you enjoy old-school wrestling and want to read about it, wrestlingrecaps.com. And Eric? Oh, uh, I don't really have anything else to plug. Uh, Patreon.com slash wrestling20yrs. Just go uh, give a couple dollars there. And I have it on good authority that there's going to be a very special bonus episode coming up involving uh, some wrestling music albums. So if you like the one that we did um, back uh, for the five-year anniversary specials, uh, you know, it might be worth the extra couple dollars to to hear what we have uh, coming up. The Patreon stuff sounds really, really cool, and I'm excited to be a part of it. Well, for this month's Patreon special uh, is a watch-along of this month's War Games NXT show. Um, so going fully up modern day. Um, last month we did a recap of the NXT London show because uh, me and Chris were both there. Um, so yeah, we are also going into current mode as well as into the past. And yes, there will be a show-and-tell crossover for the wonderful original WF album from the 80s with Stand Back and all those other wonderful songs on it. For myself, as always, if you would like to hear musical musings, do go and listen to show-and-tell tunes. Um, every week we do put out a 10-song playlist with guest hosts, my choices, or the occasional band special recently a slayer one was done to be in the same time as their last uk tour that can be found on itunes at show and tell tunes and just put in that and you'll find stuff everywhere so it is with my great pleasure to thank both bob and eric for joining me tonight and going through all things ECW TV, which was great, and I have to apologize to both of them for making them watch November to Remember. Volume 1 this month is WWF, Volume 2 is WCW, and until next month, goodbye.